destruction were still discernible, an idolatrous work repugnant to the prejudice of the conquerors. For two centuries, the Arabs remained masters of the coast. Behind them in the hills, the native Sakuyu, black, naked, anthropophagus, had lived their own tribal life among their herds, emaciated puny cattle with rickety shanks and elaborately branded hide. Farther away still lay the territory of the Wanda, Gala immigrants from the mainland who, long before the coming of the Arabs, had settled in the north of the island and cultivated it in irregular communal holdings. The Arabs held aloof from the affairs of both these people. War drums could often be heard in land, and sometimes the whole hillside would be aflame with burning villages. On the coast, a prosperous town arose. Great houses of Arab merchants with intricate lattice windows and brass-studded doors, courtyards planted with dense mango trees, streets heavy with the reek of cloves and pineapple, so narrow that two mules could not pass without altercation between their drivers. A bazaar where the money changers, squatting over their scales, weighed out the coinage of a worldwide trade. Austrian talas, rough-stamped Maratha gold, Spanish and Portuguese guineas. From Matodi, the Daos sailed to the mainland, to Tanga, Dar es Salaam, Malindi and Kismayu, to meet the caravans coming down from the Great Lakes with ivory and slaves. Splendidly dressed Arab gentlemen paraded the waterfront hand in hand and gossiped in the coffee houses. In early spring, when the monsoon was blowing from the northeast, fleets came down from the Persian Gulf, bringing to market a people of fairer skin, who spoke a pure Arabic, barely intelligible to the islanders, for with the passage of years their language had become full of alien words— Bantu from the mainland, Sakuyu and Gala from the interior, and the slave markets had infused a richer and darker strain into their Semitic blood, instincts of swamp and forest mingled with the austere tradition of the desert. In one of these Muscat trading fleets came Seth's grandfather, Amurath, a man wholly unlike his companions, a slave son, sturdy, bow-legged, three-quarters negro, he had received education of a kind from Nestorian monks near Basra. At Matodi he sold his dhow and entered the sultan's service. It was a critical time in local history. The white men were returning. From Bombay they had fastened on Aden. They were in Zanzibar and the Sudan. They were pushing up round the Cape and down through the canal. Their warships were cruising the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, intercepting slavers. The caravans from Tabora were finding difficulty in getting through to the coast. Trade in Matodi was almost at a standstill, and a new listlessness became apparent in the leisured life of the merchants. They spent their days in the town moodily chewing cat. They could no longer afford to keep up their villas round the bay. Gardens ran wild and roofs fell into disrepair. The grass huts of the Sakuyu began to appear on the more remote estates. Groups of wonder and Sakuyu came into town and swaggered insolently about the bazaars. An Arab party returning from one of the country villas was ambushed and murdered within a mile of the walls. There were rumours of a general massacre planned in the hills. The European powers watched their opportunity to proclaim a protectorate. In this uncertain decade there suddenly appeared the figure of Amurath, first as commander-in-chief of the sultan's forces, then as general of an independent army, finally as Emperor Amurath the Great. 
He armed the Wanda, and at their head inflicted defeat after defeat on the Sukuyu, driving off their cattle, devastating their villages, and hunting them down in the remote valleys of the island. Then he turned his conquering army against his old allies on the coast. In three years he proclaimed the island a single territory and himself his ruler. He changed its name, until now it had been scored on the maps as Sukuyu Island. Amurath renamed it the Empire of Azania. He founded a new capital at Deborah Dawa, two hundred miles inland on the borders of the Wanda and Sakuyu territories. It was the site of his last camp, a small village partially burnt out. There was no road to the coast, only a faltering bush path which an experienced scout could follow. Here he set up his standard. Presently there was a railway from Matodi to Deborah Dawa, Three European companies held the concession in turn and failed. At the side of the line were the graves of the two French engineers who went down with Blackwater and of numerous Indian coolies. The Sakuyu would wrench up the steel sleepers to forge spearheads and pull down...